We're coming tonight to look at the essentials of men's ministry to follow on from uh, this morning. And let me just remind you of what we were thinking about last Sunday night when we were looking at the essentials of women's ministry. You see coming up on the screen the seven points that we were considering uh, last Sunday night. There was or need to have intention, integration, scripture, discipleship, fellowship, caring, and evangelism. And really what we're going to be looking at in the men's night, it's not the same sermon, but we're going to be looking at the seven points of what's essential in women's ministry, but I'm going to make one change. I'm going to change caring, not that men shouldn't be caring, but I just think the word building emphasizes maybe more what should be part of men's ministry. So, let's look at these points together and what we learn for them. First of all, intention. We have to be so clear. And even we think of our brother Mihai sharing last week and talking about all the physical and practical help that they were giving to the different uh, folk who were coming into Moldova. He emphasizes we are a church of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the most important thing that we do is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to men's ministry, we have to be realize that the most important thing that we can ever do and the most important thing for any man is come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be born again. And we must have a desire to see them born again, to have a desire to see them integrated in the life of the church, and then to be discipled, to grow into holiness and godliness. There's a wee verse in Colossians 1 and 28 where Paul talks about what he was seeking to do with the church in Colossae. I remember years ago using this just as a wee guide when I was a youth fellowship leader, and it was that we would present everyone mature in Christ, or present everyone complete in Christ. And that's our goal, that people will be saved, but that people will grow and develop and be mature in Christ, complete in Christ, ready for the return of Jesus. And when this happens to men, that men become born again and grow and become complete in Christ, it makes such a, a difference for society, for families, and for the church. And what society, what families, what the church needs are, are godly men. More than anything else, that's what we need in these days. Kenny Luck, who is a pastor in America, he says this, there's no move of God without men of God. God moves through His people, His men and His women. But at the forefront of revival, at the forefront of great works of God, it's men of God who are sold out to the Lord. David Murrow, in that book I mentioned this morning, Why Men Hate Going to Church, says this, churches that drew a majority of men were three times more likely to be growing than those that were majority female. That is a, just a statistic. It's, it's, it's just a factor. The churches where the majority are men who are involved, they will grow and develop. They will advance. Now, in regards achieving the purpose of a vibrant men's ministry, this is something that can take time. And when we seek to bring change and develop things, we can't expect things to change just overnight. And Richard Foster said this in regards ministry and men's ministry. He says, 
our tendency is to overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but underestimate what we can accomplish in 10. And really, when it comes to intention, what we're looking for is not a sharp, short, sharp fix. We're looking for something that will be sustained over many years, something that will help reach men and develop men in Christ over many years. And as we wait for progress, we must never lose sight of our intention. So that's the first thing, our intention, to see men become mature in Christ. Secondly, we need to think about integration. And the same as women's ministry and every other ministry in the church, men's ministry must be under the authority, the guidance of the elders. It also needs to be consistent with the theology, the ethos, and the priorities of the church. It's not to be something that ever stands alone, but it's something that fits together. Think of the church like a, a jigsaw puzzle. I was in with someone, one of our senior members the other day, who just completed, I think, a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. And the, the church is a jigsaw where all the pieces need to fit together. Men's ministry has to complement and not compete with the rest of church life. That's one of the reasons why when we started the men's night, we didn't do it every month. We did it every other month because we believe that Christian men should be committed to their midweeks and we shouldn't be doing something that takes them away from the meeting for prayer and Bible study. But one particular challenge with men's ministry is, is how we integrate new men into the life of the church. Because in many ways, now you ladies mightn't think this through and you can argue with me, but this is something book after book which I've read says the same thing. In many ways, churches have become uh, female-friendly rather than male-friendly. Let me just mention here three characteristics that often are very important in being involved in the life of the church. And these three characteristics are verbal, studious, and sensitive. And the emphasis is that these are characteristics which tend to be more and more common in women and less common in men. And there are particular groups of men who really struggle with that. That's one of the reasons why many men hate coming to church, because they wouldn't see themselves as verbal. The idea of going in and having to talk to people, having to talk in a small script, the idea of being studious, the memories of their school days when they couldn't wait to get out of it, and being sensitive to others. It's just not something that they are that comfortable with. Uh, being sensitive also comes in the whole area of worship and praise particularly. Uh, David Murrow, who, who loves modern praise, he does emphasize that some modern praise tends to become quite difficult for men. He speaks of some of the very sentimental modern prayers, which we don't tend to sing, but some of the very sentimental modern prayers. He says, imagine talking to another fella like that. Uh, praise, which is, talks about your love and devotion. He says, that's just not the language we use, and yet we're expected to talk to Jesus like that. Whereas the older praise and some of the good modern prayers, it's, it's more about respect of God and regard for God and what He has done. That's one of the reasons why I picked, I picked some of the older praise for today. Uh, 
is that generally the older hymns sometimes suit men. Now, I like modern praise, and I'm sure a lot of other men modern praise, but we have to think even the way we do things. Sometimes what we sing sometimes can be more difficult. So it's one of the challenges, how we integrate men, men who are not used to church, how we integrate them into the, the life of the church. There's one of the books that I was reading that talked about a church, and it refuses to have a, a men's ministry program at all. It just says our whole church is a men's ministry program. What they do in the church, and they're not blind to women, they're not blind to women's needs, but what they do to the church, they've thought through, and how can they make it more friendly for men, particularly men who are some of the most difficult to reach in modern society. So we have intention, we have integration. And then thirdly, we have Scripture. Getting men to study God's Word is normally harder than with women. Uh, it strains this because we were thinking about uh, how we've, in Jesus' day that it wasn't seen as something of any regard to teach a woman the Torah. It was seen as a waste of time, and Jesus rightly kicked against that. We think about Islam. Again, it has seen little profit or purpose in teaching women. That's why the Taliban stopped uh, girls from going to school in Afghanistan. But what seems to happen is that within Christianity, it seems to be different from every other. And Christianity is one religion where quite often it's more difficult to get men to study God's Word. Products which are sold by Christian bookstores, 75% of them are bought by women and not by men. And that if you take the top 100 books, the Christian books, which are bestsellers, three times as many of those top 100 are geared towards women as are they geared towards men. So it's harder to get men to study a man into the Scriptures. But getting men into the Word is vital. Men will not grow. Men will not develop until they get into the Word and the Word gets into them. And I spoke this morning about Steve Sunderman who over a 20-year period went from a handful of men doing small group study to 1,500, emphasizing that something really that can happen. Men must not cop out of this. The Bible is for men and women, and men, let's remember, the Bible exclusively was written by men. And let's remember that going to the Bible is like going to the spiritual gym, where we would seek to exercise and to develop our spiritual muscles. And so it's something that's vital. It's something that's necessary. It's not necessarily something that's easy, like going to an actual gym. It's something that can cause pain and takes effort, but it's something that's absolutely vital. And how do we encourage men in the right circumstances? That That's part of the challenge. And that leads on to our next point, which is discipleship. Now, this quote from Howard Hendricks, he says this, there are two kinds of people in the church, the pillars and the caterpillars. The pillars uphold the church with their prayers, their work, and their donations. They build the kingdom of God by the sweat of their brows. 
the caterpillars crawl in on a Sunday morning, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, and crawl out again, not to be seen for a week. I wonder, are you a pillar or are you a caterpillar? I think that's a very challenging quote. And one of the great challenges for the church among those who do come in on a Sunday morning, how do we move these men from being caterpillars who crawl in the Sunday morning and then crawl out again and really aren't involved in the church the rest of the time? That's one of the challenges. Well, let me just say about Jesus, and there are three things about Jesus and his discipleship. We think of Jesus, how he called around him 12 young men, men's men, men who were used to physical labor, most of them. And there are three things about his discipleship. First of all, it took time. Jesus was full time with these men over three years. So it's something that's not going to happen just overnight. And so we need to be prepared. If we're going to see men to grow and develop, we need to be prepared to put time into doing this and see this as one of the priorities of our time as a church. Secondly, it takes sacrifice. Jesus told his disciples to give up so much. They all gave up their jobs in their situations. And to be really committed to seeing men being discipled we have to give up maybe some of the other things that we would like to be involved in. And if they're going to be involved, they need to give up some things as well. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be a cost to this. So there's time, there's sacrifice. And thirdly, there is commitment for this to persevere. You think of those who followed Jesus. We think of the 12 disciples, but there are many others who followed Jesus who fell away. We think of the opposition that they Jesus' experience. And the disciples would not have been immune to that. They would have been aware of the criticisms which were constantly being fired their way as those who followed Jesus. So it needed commitment to persevere. Time, sacrifice, commitment. And if we're going to be involved in this, if we're going to see men growing and develop, we have to put in the time, the sacrifice, and the commitment. Let's think about fellowship. Steve Sunderman, in his book, he says, the average male over 30 can't name one close friend. I would say, normally speaking, women have more friends than men. But the average male over 30 can't name one close friend. Now, close friends, I would say, are more important for women than for men but they are important for men as well. And in living for Jesus Christ, you need close Christian friends. And the problem is, men come in, come out. Relationships are not developed. Friendships are not grown. And often men are very isolated. Men drawing alongside other men is so important because men tend to follow men rather than ideas. If you want to get men motivated, they need to be motivated by other men, and they will follow men quicker than they will follow ideas. 
I think it's Steve Sunderman has said that the ministry that they do in their church is very much among men is based on Proverbs 27, 17, which says, as iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens another. And we come together to sharpen each other, to encourage each other, to really help each other to go on with Christ, to challenge each other about how we're living for the Lord so we can persevere. Now, remember what was said last Sunday night about fellowship. Fellowship is not just about having a wee chat. And if I have a wee chat over the football, that is not fellowship. Fellowship is about partnership in what we have in common in Jesus Christ. It's something that has to be deep. Yes, as we chats are involved, but it's something that has to be deep. It's at the heart of it, there has to be prayer. There has to be the study of God's Word. And this fellowship has to go from prayer and the study of God's Word. It then has to go into service. One church I was reading about, and they would get their, their new folk into a small group, and they will spend several years in this small group, and primarily in this small group, they're learning about being a Christian and living as a Christian. And then the small group turns into an action group. Their small group is then given tasks to do together. And that's important that we realize that fellowship is studying God's Word, it's praying together, but fellowship is serving the Lord together. And the best fellowship you can ever experience is the fellowship that's in the trenches of spiritual battle. If you take why army veterans often really struggle when they come back to their homes, one of the things they really struggle with is that sense of comradeship, which is now missing, which they had experienced when they were in very challenging and difficult situations. There was a closeness, there was a bond there. But now when they come home, that is lost. And many, indeed, can't cope with that at all. And in the Christian life, the best fellowship is really when we're in the trenches together, when we're serving the Lord together, and serving the Lord times and doing things which aren't easy. It's the more we can get men doing these things together, the more they will go deeper with each other and the Lord. Just one of the things that emphasizes about prayer for men, particularly among men, we need to encourage prayer that is short. Many men will not be as articulate as their wives in praying. And so they need to be particularly encouraged to pray short prayers. Uh, to talk about the passing the object around, which we pre-COVID would have done to encourage people all to pray. Uh, they also talk about popcorn prayers, which is praying short one-line prayers, which encourages men to start praying together. That's all part of this fellowship together, of being brothers together. The next thing I'm going to emphasize is that of building. And I think when you look at the role of men in the Bible, I think building is maybe closer to what we're called to do than the word caring. If you look at the role of women, it's particularly that nurturing, nurturing, caring aspect is part of it, where men particularly are called to be builders, sometimes literal builders, 
but also spiritual builders in regards to the kingdom. Gordon Dalby says the following, A unique and truly awesome power arises when men gather together. The power which God gives especially to men collectively to get his work done in the world. And when men unite in Christ to build, the potential, the, the opportunities that can be fulfilled is amazing. And in motivating men, they need to be challenged directly. They need to be challenged. Abraham Lincoln was a godly man. And during the American Civil War, he would have gone to a local Presbyterian church to hear a minister called Dr. Gurley. And after one service, he was asked by the person that he's with what he thought about it, what he thought about the sermon he had just heard. His reply was, it was brilliantly conceived, relevant, and well presented. And his friend said to him, so it was a good sermon. His reply was no. And when pushed, why no? This was his answer. Because it, Dr. Gurley fail, failed to ask anything great of us. And if we really want to motivate men, we are really to challenge them to ask great things of, of them. Often men, when challenged, they struggle to fit into the life of the church. They hear that strong preaching. And if you look at churches which have men or their churches which have strong preaching, but sometimes men, they hear that strong preaching because they can't then know how do they work it out? How do they serve within the church? And David Murrow says, one of the problems is this, most volunteer opportunities involve roles that have historically belonged to women. A lot of talented men have realized they are incompetent within the church system. So he says there are men who are out in the world who have tremendous gifts and ability, who are very competent men and can do so much, but so often within the church system, when a lot of things are to do with dealing with children and young people and teaching and verbal skills, a lot of men just think, well, how do I then fit into this system? And it's important to give men the opportunity to use their practical skills in serving within the church and within the community. Practical work, as I've said, it also helps fellowship. And one of the reasons it helps fellowship is that experts have said is that women enjoy fellowship face to face, where men particularly enjoy fellowship side by side. If I announced that on Saturday morning, we were going to have a, a coffee morning in the church hall, who do you think would come more, men or women? The thought of coming and sitting around a circle and drinking coffee and facing each other, that tends to suit most women more than it suits most men. Where men prefer to be doing things together and doing things together is often where their fellowship develops. I was thinking, hearing about one church in America which has a, a chainsaw team. <laughs> it has a team of men when there, it's an area which suffers from uh, uh, twisters, typhoons, and things like that. And so 
It has a group of men that when it happens in the community, they're part of the church, they go out with their chainsaws to help clear the, the trees that have been cut down. They've got chainsaws, very manly stuff. And we need to have roles and opportunities for men to do things like that. Now, some churches talk about entry-level service where they get maybe new people to help with things like car parking and the ushering things they got, and then move on to other things. But this is a challenge for us. How can we get men to be builders? How can we build things within the church, within our community, and further afield? And one of the things you discover so often is that when you get men, and even get non-Christian men involved, sometimes they have to belong, that sense of belonging, before they come to believe. And there's men who you'll never get into a prayer meeting at the beginning, but you'll get them to do some practical work. I don't know what the answer to this is, but you think of the potential of a man, a group of men with really good hands, really good skills, being let loose. I read of one church where there would, men would be divided into wee groups of four. And maybe there's a widow who have, doesn't have many in her family to support her, and they'll go once a month to do some practical jobs in and around her house. Or they would do it maybe for a, a single mother. They do it in wee groups for safety. They do it together and to do that practical work. Men want to be builders. We, we love building things. How do we utilize that? The final point then is evangelism. What can we say about evangelism among men? Well, first of all, we can say it as something that's very, very important. Bill Hybels was the founder of Willow Creek Church in America. And while I struggle a lot with a lot of his theology, I think what he says here is very important. He says three things. The key to reaching unchurched families was to reach husbands. The key to reaching husbands was to create a church where men weren't embarrassed to worship. I spoke about earlier, making it men-friendly. Once dad was in the door, the family would normally happily follow. So that's why getting men is so important. Statistics say if you get a, a man, 90% of the time you'll get the family. The statistics for women is about half of that. So it's so important. David Murrow says this, though, that Islam is the world's fastest growing religion. And not coincidentally, it's also widely popular with men. Why? in the 21st century, for many men, something like Islam is more appealing than Christianity. Surely Christianity is the truth should be more appealing. Well, let me try and figure that out in some sense. We're going to say a wee table come up here, okay? I hope you can read that table. There are two lists of characteristics in the table. Two sets of them, right? Uh, that shouldn't be CD, it should be set A. Set A and set B. The first one is competence, power, efficiency, achievement, skills, proving oneself, results, 
accomplishment, objects, goal orientation, self-sufficiency, success, and competition. That's the first set. The second set is love, communication, beauty, relationships, support, helping, nurturing, feelings, sharing, relating, community, loving cooperation, personal expression. Now, those two lists of characteristics, if you were to choose one which pointed to Jesus, what would you choose, set A or set B? The vast majority of time, people will choose set B. Let me tell you where those two lists come from. They come from John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And set A are those characteristics particularly associated with men. Set B are those characteristics particularly associated with women in his book. And yet normally when people are asked which of those would point most to Jesus, they will point to set B. And one of the problems is the way we present Jesus can be more feminine than masculine. And we need to get it right. And if we present Jesus in a feminine way with qualities that are particularly noticeable among women, there are certain groups of men that we will fail to reach when we present Jesus that way. It is said that the the three hardest group of men to reach, you'll see on the screen, are the high-achieving in business, young single men, and highly masculine men, the, the muscle men. We'll struggle ever to reach people like that if Jesus is presented in a soft way. Now, in the gospel, Jesus is pictured in two ways. Jesus is pictured as the lamb who is gentle and tender, but he's also pictured as the lion who is strong and victorious. And someone has said, you should do a challenge. If you get a gospel, either printed out or buy yourself a cheap gospel, go through it with two uh, highlighters and use a pink one and a light blue one, and highlight in light pink when Jesus is pictured as a lamb, and light blue when Jesus is pictured as a lion. And what you will find is if you go through the Gospels, Jesus is pictured as a lion, that strong character, far more than he's ever pictured as a lamb. Yet so often the way we present Jesus is in this gentle, soft way which appeals more to women than it does to men. David Murrow says, by creating and worshiping a half-Jesus, Christians have unwittingly made the gospel less compelling to my half of the human race. 
you think of Jesus when He confronted the different religious groups. He was no lamb. He was a lion. You think of Jesus when He challenged His disciples. He was no lamb. He was a lion. You think of Jesus when He cleared the temple. No lamb. The lion. You think of Jesus and how He responded to Pilate. You will have no authority except that was given from above. No lamb, the lion. Yes, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, he allowed himself to go and to suffer and to be put to death on the cross. And praise God he did. But he's also the lion of Judah. And so, if we are presenting the gospel to men, if we're presenting the gospel to boys, we need to make sure that we are not presenting Jesus, who's only a half Jesus. Yes, we don't rule out the Lamb. Yes, we don't rule out the compassionate, the tender, the loving Jesus that He is. But we have to include the Jesus, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The Jesus who calls people to follow Him, to leave things, to let go of things. The Jesus who challenges our sin and calls for repentance. One of the things about this is that this is a message, particularly for those groups of men we find hard to reach, this is a message that they will be more likely to respond to. In 1913, Ernest Shackleton, the Antarctic explorer, put this advert in the paper. He says, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition, recognition in case of success. Now he had 26 places on his team. With an advert like that, how many applications did you think he had? Over 5,000. Why? Because men like a challenge. And the way we present the gospel, the way we present Christ, will have more impact among men when we present it as the challenge that it is. So, we've seen the same, basically the same seven points, intention, integration, scripture, discipleship, fellowship, building, and evangelism. I'll just say for the men, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we will, God willing, meet and chat through just where we go uh, with this and from this in men's ministry. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you just for your truth tonight, what we've been learning, Father, about ministry among men. And Father, just help us to, to learn, Father, to present Christ as he truly is, to present him, yes, as the Lamb of God who willingly goes to be sacrificed, but to present him also as the Lion of Judah who challenges sin, 
who defeats sin and who commands his people to follow. Father, we do pray for men within our congregation. We pray, Father, for men who never come to church. Lord, show us and teach us how we can reach out to them. Father, we think of men who occasionally come to church or come to church who are not Christians. Show us, Father, how we can break into their lives by your grace and power. And Father, for those who are Christians, but Father, we bit like the caterpillar who crawl in on Sunday morning and out again, how we can make them into pillars, Lord, by your grace. To get them involved, Lord. Get them, Father, becoming deeper with you and, and serving you. Lord, teach us about this. Guide us into this. Because, Father, we have been thinking just how crucial it is to find men who will go on with Christ. Just bless all the men who serve within our committee, within our Kirk session, in so many different roles. Bless the work of our boys' brigade as it seeks to labor among young men. Well, Father, grant that you will draw people to Christ and to draw people to surrender before him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.